Welcome to Gritty Girls, the podcast. I'm Jillian Christie, and my passion and calling is really all about helping as many women realize that they have a scalable superpower, grit. If you're into hearing from badass, world-class women who just happen to be top chefs, athletes, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, artists, and activists on how they achieve their loftiest goals despite their greatest life challenges, then you don't want to miss the Gritty Girls podcast. Your journey to get inspired by phenomenal women around the globe and to learn how to cultivate more grit in your life starts now. As a young girl, Lady Sue thought, if I could only bottle up the orgasm feeling and sell it, it could lead to world peace. This might have been her earliest entrepreneurial spark. Tune in today to hear how she transformed from media investment banking intern on Wall Street to Asian Bourdain Oprah who builds companies and communities. She's your go-to global food expert talking cuisine and cultural appreciation versus appropriation. She eats her way through fine dining and hole-in-the-wall restaurants and tells the stories of the people behind the food. But where did she find the courage to leave the well-paved career path? Tune in. I'm Jillian Christie, and this is Gritty Girls. I I just think you're just such a lovely human inside and out, and you have such a beautiful story, and you share it so eloquently, um, and it's so interesting, right? I mean, you started in in investment banking and on Wall Street. Um, like, what brought you there? Like, what interests? What path? Like, how did you get there first? So the thing about being a uh, the kid of Asian immigrants is that the Wall Street dream was not something that I I thought up of when I was a little kid. It was more things like the classic doctor dream or lawyer, doctor or lawyer, doctor or lawyer. Are you more into numbers or are you more into words? Like pretty binary, boring world. And I I was a kid that got the perfect grades and I was good at art in school. My parents made me take piano, which I hated so much. I would throw the book on the floor and stomp on it if I got really frustrated during practice. So basically I was more of a brat to begin with than I remember now because I'm so like, so not bratty now, Uh, but I hated piano. Uh, So my parents did value math. I happened to be good at words and writing on my own. So so fast forward to now, uh, I, I've allowed myself to believe that I am an artist and that I get to be an artist and someone who creates and builds for a living, which is more of an, a dream job than I ever could have imagined. I didn't grow up thinking that I was allowed to be an artist. When did you, when did you realize that? Because you were in investment banking, you were on Wall Street. When did you realize I can create and I'm that's a valuable asset of my personality and what I love. Well, it's, it's, it's taken all the way up until now and it's still going. Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) so got the perfect grades, did all those banking and consulting interviews from the West coast. So that's a little bit further away from the hub of the East coast and, and New York city. And I 
I was, I was told that going and doing an investment banking would open up all the doors. But what they don't tell little Asian girls is that it opens up investment banking shaped doors, but not other, other doors that are. You want other shaped are, doors too. Yeah. Like what shapes are there? I, I had no, I had no, I had no idea. No idea. There were not role models coming in to be like, Hey, I host a, you know, chef podcast radio show uh, in Bushwick, Brooklyn, or, Hey, I, you know, do marketing for your favorite grocery store and get to like dive into all these different new food products or, Hey, I get to be a food scientist who, and now I'm studying like the intersection of food and psychedelics. I made that one up. I don't think I've met like, (laughs) but you know, like the, the, the boundaries uh, keep on widening for us and, that's why it's so exciting to live in this time, even if everything's kind of a bummer due to the pandemic, is that uh, we all have in this, in this society and economy, we've all gotten to be m- maybe more specialized, yet more uh, broad in our interests, the way we spend our time than we ever could have imagined. I, was there, yeah. a, was there a turning point for you when you're like, I'm done with numbers, like I quit, I want... I want to be more like, I'm a creative human. I want to do noodle dance parties. I want to, you know, I want to talk about food. I want to talk about life. I'm a creative. When was that turning point for you? So I, I love that you're, 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 um, you're, you're filling in all of the, you're coloring all the, sh- uh, the parts of this coloring book of my life. Cause I'm, I'm almost being a little bit, um, I, I'm really diving in and exploring this with you because you know, you're asking me questions that I could easily right now give you the, the canned responses, not canned, but you know, I've told my story a few times now Mm. publicly. So I'm really, really feeling how each phase actually felt and really owning up to the fact that it has been a really confusing, Mm. zigzaggy, epically fun. And also sometimes like epically soul-crushing way to get to this point and this point is not even the this is I'm still on my way so I was in uh I was in investment so I did do get the investment banking internship in New York and I worked at Merrill Lynch on the team that helped sell Dow Jones Wall Street Journal to Rupert Murdoch the Australian billionaire um, media mogul and I was an editor of my school paper, valedictorian, all the things. And I say that just because I was, I was coming to the real world, all like goody two shoes, like trying really hard to please everyone. And really, you know, all that I had to offer was I'm a damn good writer and I'm very friendly. So those, those don't necessarily look all that valuable on a resume coming out of high school or college or college, unfortunately, right? Like these are soft skills that were not at all prioritized, at least not for me um, in the way that I was brought up and then society as well brought me totally, up. Totally. So I had all these fluffy skills and here I am on this team that's selling a major publication to like the evil billionaire. And I remember riding home in a black car in New York city because you get to have the black cars because they work, uh, investment bankers like 
to the bone and you take a car home at 4 a.m. because they don't want any summer analysts getting lost <laughs> on the way home. And then, anyway, the point is everyone, bankers get the black car. I'm sitting there. I'm opening up my my mobile device. Was it a BlackBerry? Yes, it was. And I'm reading the 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 news of of the Wall Street Journal's own demise, but on the Wall Street Journal, which of course is biased, right? So wow. already, yeah. you know, my brain is like, what? Like the real world doesn't work all pure like my Asian immigrant upbringing. So, so then I, re- I remember that to be the beginning of the end of media as we know it. And media, I came to understand is telling stories just like so many other, other art arts are, or arts and businesses. Um, and so I'm about telling stories. Well, I'm, I can't go. So we're seeing the beginning of the end of media as we know. And that also then affects, of course, is exactly hand in hand with marketing and advertising and just all, all the ways the world works. Right. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I saw all of this as, well, we needed to make content sustainable. Like we needed to be able to produce stories. And so whether that be written or video or what have you, that costs money and resources and time and people to do it. So how do we make that work? So there needs to be publishing and like salespeople to get money for the media entity to tell stories. So I really, really got down to the bottom of that, like kind of how the world works um, because otherwise it was just mumbo jumbo of media, advertising, marketing, biz dev, like, what does this all mean? Yeah. So fast forward to now, I realize I've sometimes intentionally, sometimes without knowing it, I've spent my life creating the partnerships, getting the budget, building the audiences, building the whole brands, whole companies, some of them my own, just to have the right to, to do what I do, which is to tell stories and, and speak up and and produce content more nimbly and more smartly for testing for results mm-hmm. um you know than i ever could have imagined i i'm doing the storytelling but tying it to to uh, intention and results and some of that can be sales and, and that's okay uh but i've learned how to do that in a time when right? Audiences and consumers, they want more intimacy in their content Mm -hmm. and in their communities, especially as the world gets more digital and we're being forced to get more digital in a time of COVID. So, so how do you make that emotional connection? And, and you did that years and years ago, and it's so relevant right now, especially over the socials and over, you know, the virtual world. How do you still create that emotional connection um, to, like you said, to the results of whatever the results, you know, that you're trying to achieve virtually. Mm. And that's, that's something I've been asking myself lately too. How do you, how do you, you know, really connect that emotional, uh, piece with people when you can't be in person, when you can't, you know, it's all about storytelling, right? And, and it's, you started that many years ago, um, and you, you never look back and you, you know, you've, you've had a lot of great results from it. You're a, you're a storyteller slash journalist slash marketeer. Um, you do <laughs> that makes me sound like I should have ears on and then like <laughs> bounce around, which I do. Um, so, so, uh, yeah. So just, just, just even in the last couple months during, uh, COVID, I, I realized that, 
while in quarantine, I remember so much about my home life and childhood because I've spent some time in the house where I grew up. Mm. I visited the playground where I had my first kiss, (laughs) which is all, but also like, oh my God, am I really like, (laughs) like still at square zero? (laughs) No, no, I've had a lot of luck with, with love, love, sex, and dating during the pandemic. (laughs) Don't worry about me. Oh, that's great. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hosted a virtual speed dating and love workshop, a couple of them at the start of quarantine and hundreds of people attended. And that, that was one of those moments where I realized the work that I do is no wonder that I'm, I'm um, telling stories and connecting people in such an intimate way, because in this playtime that was on zoom and, and, and people were just totally flabbergasted by what was happening in the world because we're all like diving for cover, (sighs) bad germs and masks or no masks and there's not enough toilet paper. So whatever, I have to come out of the bathroom (laughs) uncivilized with shit all over my ass. So, (laughs) so, I mean, people were very, very uh, discombobulated uh, to say the least. And people were dying and people were, people were in hospitals without that tech to be able to FaceTime their loved ones uh, you know, as, as they were dying, you know, there were these things that we have short-term memory. Like I realized that I forgot about all this. So in that time leaned into play and got to do one of my favorite things, which is to. That's so cool. Tell stories and connect people, but about love, sex and dating. Not even. Are you going to do another one of those? Yes. I am. And you That's can great. hear about it by going to my Instagram because uh, it's, it's, you know what? I'm going to be doing it with the Summit Series community because... Oh, very cool. The women of that, that community have spoken. Um, <laughs> I'll be doing more with Hendel Group, which is the coach coaching company that my coach that I have found and gotten to work with, Lauren Zander, who works with Questlove and Dr. Mark Hyman and, and Babyface and Hugh Jackman. Okay, Hugh Jackman, definitely my favorite. Definitely my favorite. Hello, Wolverine. Let's do this, you know? <laughs> So if he's at um, one of your speed dating things, let me know. Uh, no, he's, he's taken. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but um, question, how did that, how did that pivot happen? I mean, I know clearly you're, mm-hmm. you're intimately connecting people with stories and, and, and all that fun stuff, but like, how did the pivot of, I want to bring humans together on that, that most intimate level of connection of love and intimacy and all the things. Oh, wow. Um, so in this time of quarantine, I've realized that some of my best material is coming from mom and Asian mom and, and childhood. Like, so I'll tell you about uh, a, a couple of memories that, are, that really drive my vision. So, and my hunger, it drives my vision and it's why I'm hungry for this work that I do. Mm. Um, and you do want the diners at your table to be hungry when you cook. So I show up, this is how I show up to restaurants and with the chefs that I work with and at the bars where the, where I'm getting watered. Um, (laughs) so, and one of them, by the way, is how I, I zig and zagged my way to meeting you. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it keeps on giving. So, um, noodles noodle soup dance party last august okay what is that well the morning that i got the phone call from my sister that my mother had passed away in her sleep she was dealing with stage four non-smoking lung cancer which is a mutation that's common in asian women like age 50 to 60 ish around there so 
something to know um, that lung cancer does not have to only happen in someone who smokes. And I got that phone call and it was surreal. I was about to do an event up at Summit Series, Powder Mountain, where, um, where you and I connected. And then, then I, I remember going into a sound meditation. So that was a, a, br- a breath of relief because I don't think I could have gone to breakfast and talked to people. But I was just kind of like floating along. Mm. In, I was sad. Uh, I was then later on inspired but not depressed or anxious because my mom had been sick for so long so Mm. it didn't come as a surprise or a a big surprise more of just like a surreal surprise so I spoke to the team and said hey can I tell the truth about this dish this Taiwanese beef noodle soup hashtag soup soup this dish I've been cooking with chefs and friends and four chefs and friends around the world since you know the five years ago when my mom was first diagnosed and it was my way of of expressing myself. And so everyone said, you know, go for it. Very supportive. And I shared for the first time with folks the story of that dish and of my mom and of me in such a big way. Like I really took up time and space. And I don't know if I, as a little Asian girl, was ever, I don't think I've ever really done it right like this before like really being patient with myself letting myself speak slowly and with intention and with a cadence and really stopping to think in front of a whole bunch of people who are waiting to hear my next word you know I didn't used to speak like this Mm. even a year and a half ago like I didn't used to speak like this for sure two years ago I was still I I was still identifying those times where people in my life and some of them that I worked with very closely and, and cared a lot for might say things to me to put me in a particular place or say that I wasn't enough of this or of that, right? So no matter what, as a woman who gets stuff done and who also loves and, and nurtures and a woman who's doing all the things, uh, no no matter what, there's always those daily like people telling you stuff that you have to sort of listen to and then be like is that me or not and decide right and keep on keeping on so um so working through all that like really on this day the timing was so so serendipitous because it was like such a gift because my mom had just died that morning so what what wrong could I do I'm really gonna like take time to hang out with you all um and then so I shared with people this one thought uh and people laughed people cried and I was felt very connected to 120 people, old and new friends. And I said that when when I spoke to my mom's home hospice nurse the night before to debrief, she said, you know, she's like still nagging people, still like, you know, he didn't say nagging, but she's still <laughs> calling the shots. Me, I heard now. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let me not put words into his mouth. Um, but she, if she, only she could eat and drink on her own, she'd feel so much better. And... And I was like, oh, okay. It's it's that when you're not well, you can't be hungry. And so I saw her be less and less well, less and less hungry. My Asian parents didn't say I love you. Instead, they just fed us. That was their way, only way of showing love. Yeah. Only way of really communicating at all, like truly. And I'm not exaggerating through, too Through much. the stomach, yeah. <laughs> through the stomach. So uh, I, I realized that how much hunger is the 
is such a privilege because you got to be well and healthy to be hungry and then everyone tonight to be hungry and to be able to share in this bounty and satiate it and be here right now is such a fucking privilege and so let's do this let's let's celebrate life tonight that's that's so beautiful and i i can't thank you enough for sharing that and i can't even imagine like what a beautiful time and space to take up on that same morning I am just so impressed and I, I'm sure everyone that was present was so grateful for you sharing so rawly and so authentically in that moment. And of course, I know it's, it's still very fresh and I'm so sorry for your loss, um, lady. It, I can't even, you know, put that into words, but if you were to take what you just said, which mm. is so beautiful you know, hunger is such a, a gift, right? Because you have to be healthy to feel hungry in that epiphany that came to you. What advice would you give to a young 16, 17, 18-year-old lady about that fire, about that hunger? Mm. Uh, I want to share one more detail about that night, which is that one fellow came up to me and said, perhaps this is the first time your mom was able to be present present at one of your gatherings. Mm. That was such a wonderful, adorable, cheeky observation. And I just love that. So uh, the one piece of advice, I, mine is always just like forever and ever always be connecting because you know, too often we're in these roles where we encounter people and it has to be transactional because we're all getting life done and we're getting our jobs and we're getting the coffee at the coffee shop or we're, get, you know, getting on a call to talk partnerships and just like yeah. down to business. And, you know, in a 30 minute typical phone, like call, call length, there's not much that you can really do. Um, and I just take the time to have that one hour or more conversation before the 30 minute conversation and then before the 10 minute conversation where you can work so efficiently with someone because there is that foundation of trust. So when I say always be connecting, it used to be like be out there connecting, which, you know, still is important. And even through zoom and FaceTime, we can still have these meaningful interactions. But then also I'm realizing that um, e even when, you know, even in your daily routine of work, and getting stuff done that they'll always be connecting even more deeply. Mm. I went, you know, broad to, to diving in more deeply, which is what I've had a little more time during this quarantine to do. Like totally. I won't see, I wouldn't see you at an, in a real life event. We're not necessarily eating the same exact food right now, but it's so good I, to see your face. Technology is such a blessing too. To I see to you. Yeah. See your eyes and connect this way. And, what would you say? Like a connection is so important. It's, it's one of my greatest passions. That's I love bringing people together and I love learning people's stories and just learning the, you know, the idiosyncrasies of uh, uniqueness of different people. What would you say connection, like real connection? What would you say that has like gifted your life with the most through that pathway? Like what has come from it? What is the fruit that connection has harvested in your life? I think uh, surprises, 
surprises that are a good uh, a good match, you know, for the for the time. I, I feel that when I'm in my flow, I always I'm meeting people, the exact right people at the right time. Mm. Like when I met my coach Lauren Zander, or when I met my co-founder Susan Ho and Journey, um, who's still running running the company and making sure that we take care of people's nearby trips, not just the ones where we have to jump on a plane because that's scary. I've run into. And often I've st- started to work with or start whole companies with have, for instance, been on the dance floor. My first two business partners I met on the dance floor, John Wiseman uh, um, in Austin at South by, um, and then, and then Susan in Shanghai on two speakers, you know, two competitive Asian women being like, who that bitch, you know, yes. um, on the dance floor and in the bathroom. Why is it such a connecting experience? There's something about it. our pants down literally. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and speaking of having your pants down, I know this is a very elegant transition, but I also wanted to impart this one thought for, for women, which is that like, um, that I'm hoping for a world where, uh, sex and our sexuality isn't made the enemy and appropriated by politics, religion, capitalism, not that I'm against all capitalism, but you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to share one, I shared how memories of my childhood have, have really, um, guided me in this, in this quarantine time. And I remembered one memory, um, and this was funny because I was talking to the head of brand of a major sexual lubricant company. Mm-hmm. And I realized in this, like this, this kind of this, this, this conversation is <laughs> brainstorm. I mean, I, I'm always brainstorming with my friends, right? We're always coming up with zany ideas. So we got to this like magic in a bottle concept, uh, because I realized that when I was a little girl and I discovered masturbation slash then orgasm or really more whatever I did that led to orgasm. Cause you know, of course I didn't, I wasn't I'm goal oriented. It was just like, Oh, whoa, <laughs> that feeling, you know, if I could take this feeling and bottle it up and sell it for a lot of money, <laughs> mind you, it wasn't a lemonade stand kind of kid. So this is like, this is me, me saying I only want to be an entrepreneur if I really, really believe in it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and it, it would lead to world peace. It could lead mm, to world peace. Totally, and I realized yeah. this in the midst of BLM and all the protests and a lot of people hurting really very much. So I was, I'm so grateful to have discovered the feeling of orgasm in, in this innocent way at that innocent age, even though I knew that I probably shouldn't go and tell mommy <laughs> like instinctually. maybe not the first step I don't know but who knows listen to your instincts but I didn't know that it then had to do with all the evil guilt pain mm. you know fear driven stuff in the world like it didn't have to start that way yeah no totally and that's that's such a thanks for sharing that too because it's so true and it's such an epiphany to have at such a young age it's so profound you know to like realize this because it's so real I mean if I could buy bottles of it too I'd probably purchase them so um no that's it's so real and you're absolutely right I think you know you say that can solve a lot of problems in the world world peace all these things I think the same thing about self-awareness and love and loving yourself if if more people could do that and it's very uh, related to what you're saying, if more people could truly love themselves, uh, it would solve a lot of uh, problems in the world. Um, I, I was I was curious to know because 
this is always one of those things. I mean, I think it's one of those things that we don't as readily share with, with people, uh, sometimes our closest friends, but, uh, usually it's something that we, we just constantly have this narrative on the inside of ourselves that we think back to a time where we made maybe the biggest mistake of our lives or the biggest mistake of our career. Um, but luckily, you know, in a lot of cases we learn from them. Is there ever a time where you felt like you made like what your biggest mistake was? And maybe it's more of like the biggest lesson you've learned. Like what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your life that has made you who you are today? Mm. So I've only recently realized and given myself that, that room and that kindness to say, to, to understand that when you're somebody who's building, creating your, your, you're pushing the envelope, um, you're an artist, you're a visionary, and you see things that other people don't, well, a um, couple things, that people will not know how much is underneath, like how much is in the root system or how much is underneath the visible part of the iceberg that needed to form, um, that, that is also there as the ballast. Um, that grounds the work that you do publicly or that's um, known by more and more people um, because you had to do that that work and you had to learn learn through your own experiences as well as get really good with your work on yourself so you're feeling like you have a good foundation for being out there because um, in my growth I, I felt all those feelings of let's say fear or um, you know self-consciousness or, you know, all of those things, pleasing everyone, making sure to juggle so many balls, like making something out of nothing, making companies from scratch, making audiences from zero to millions. And just like that growing, um, my goodness, it takes so much activation energy. You know, everyone, human, humankind is meant to have, have children, but birthing whole business babies or just any initiative is just a lot more energy than than maybe we let ourselves acknowledge totally it it really is and and you bring up a great point too where you know you're learning that lesson like how much energy something is taking and birthing something even if it's not a child you're still birthing a baby of sorts you know it's a Mm -hmm. business or, or this or that and and when we learn, you know, to get through our self-doubts or the fear that you spoke of or, um, you know, you name it, the people pleasing, which I know is just prevalent in a lot of our lives. What tools um, do you specifically use to, I mean, clearly you're, you're self-aware, you see these things with inside you, which I think is the first step, right? It's huge. Self-awareness is mm-hmm. huge. But what tools do you use to kind of mitigate that and to really push through those moments that might otherwise stop you in your tracks, right? What tools do I use? Uh, well, like do you meditate? Do you, you see a coach? You, uh, like I, I read a lot of, you know, some books. I read a lot of self-help books. <laughs> I, I do, I do, I do, uh, I do do hip hop yoga, but now virtually I do work with my coach, Lauren Zander. Uh, and 
and uh, and the meditation of all of the above, whether it's even meditating, you know, while in the shower, which always ends up happening, right? Or um, I've only recently started driving more, so I even get I get good ideas and work out whole whole things while driving. Which, by the mm-hmm. way, driving was never relaxed. Like I, this is a new me, you know. And, <laughs> I almost, because I'm more in my body, it's like driving feels more relaxing because I'm aware of everything while still coming up with the solutions to problems, you know, for, for a, 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 an event coming, a thing coming up or um, for a client. And uh, Sarah Blakely, the youngest, mm. youngest uh, female billionaire, self-made billionaire, right? She also now I'm realizing she also said that she works out a lot in uh, on her drive. Yeah, I I uh you know, I think driving for me is also it's probably dangerous to say, but it's kind of a meditative space too cuz I mean, let's just be honest, it's a little autopilotish if you drive a lot, right? So sometimes thoughts, really good ones really come to you and it's so it's interesting, but I didn't know that was kind of her place too, her uh creative space. Here's another, here's another, um, oh, another way that I've, um, I've gotten just, just a lot more clear. And this is through the work with my coach is that I've written down my dream across all of my, the parts of my life, like mm. my love life, finding the person that I'm going to do life with. I'm letting myself believe that is going to be epically delicious, fun, hot, and hilarious and it's worth finding that person because, well, what's what sounds like this the crappiest moment of life when you're on your deathbed and you're like, no, I don't want to go. It's way too fun here. And what's going to make that moment more fun and funny? Well, your person who's fun and funny by your side, if you really pick that right person. So, mm-hmm. you know, even putting that dream down or putting down the dream of, of you know, having that next, next generation like that that the really helping to shape the future of storytelling and community building and connecting people and the future of growing uh companies and brands and just the future of um I don't know doing all the things that we love and Mm -hmm. and helping everyone do more of it yeah I think I think you're so on I mean clarity is huge right like even if we we have a vision board or we just write it down. If we are actively doing something with that vision, that dream that's in us and, and find more clarity around it, it'll sit in our, even if it's sitting in our subconscious, we may not necessarily know how to get there, but our whole body is vibrating in a place that's like, I'm going towards that. And I, I super believe in that too. I believe in the clarity and putting, writing down the dreams, putting them in a visible place knowing them, getting them into your bones, because there's no other way, really. It makes it so much easier. This is what really, the time is all we have, right? And then what really frees up time is uh, being able to say no. And when something isn't a yes to you, then it's a no. Mm -hmm. And, and tying that, that with uh, being more and more public and growing and doing things that are bigger and impact more people is acknowledging that um, in order to to make change in the world, you can't have everyone all be friends. And just to make sure that the the inputs you're getting, like you're not taking that, I'm not taking that. I'm not going to say you. I'm not taking that, um, you know, too much to heart. I can decide for myself, like 
what to take as feedback, what to say, no, that's not me or that's not for me, whether it be in work or in dating or whatever. And that goes back to knowing thyself, right? Like if you really get clear with who you are and what you believe in and what you want, and that clarity all comes together in yourself, then it's so much easier to, to, you know, okay, incoming input, no, thank you, not for me, because I know myself better than this person or this societal, you know, law or rule, if you will. Um, so yeah, it all goes back to that. And it sounds like, you know, um, it's hard for a lot of people. It seems very, for me, it's one of my greatest passions is self-awareness and self-growth. And and I know that's the same for you. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing and I'm always striving to do this, but it's, it's not always the default for a lot of people. And they're not always looking to improve because that, that means they have to look at the dark pieces too, right? They have to look at the parts that don't feel as great as well. Is there, is there something that like to this day, I mean, that we all have these, right? Something you still struggle with personally mm. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, so, so there will be only a couple, very, very few people, like let's say two maximum people in my life that I still need to like, have a real talk with and clear out all the shit, you know, tell Mm. someone, here's everything I love about you. Here's everything I hate about you. Here's the times that you made me mad or sad. And I didn't tell you, here's what I hope for you. Here's what I will always remember about like all of that. That's like a parent letter kind of conversation. And I wrote my mom a parent letter that I didn't get a chance to get it translated by my dad. So I just definitely procrastinating on that because it all mm. sounded very, very embarrassing. But um, my mom's parent letter ended up being the, the foundation, well, really just almost like the pre-done homework, go me, uh, of her, the speech I gave at her funeral. So my dad uh, is, is, is here in this house where I'm at in, at this moment. And I owe him a dad letter and I'm still working on that. And it's very hard for, um, it's very hard to sit and, and have a meal with him and actually talk about anything that's, that's real because, you know, the reason why I value stories and jokes and laughs at the dinner tables, because, you know, my parents were immigrants, uh, from Taiwan who were, and I was born in Taiwan. They were so busy making a living and taking care of kids that they had before I'm my age right now. Oi. <laughs> that they didn't have time to be, you know, like sparkly and like witty and entertaining the way that I bring, what I bring to any anything that I work on or any dinner party that I show up to. Like I pride myself on being... Um, you know, good at, at that because I didn't have it as a kid. So my parents never treated us as friends. They, we were the kids and they were the parents. And so of course the way that you, you, you get to like, just like love each other more is by having conversations about the stuff that's really on your mind and the stuff that might be about stuff that's never before been talked about, you know, Mm. Um, there was not the good advice on the, the on the work um there was not active advice on the money front and there was not besides like you know save money and there was not active advice on the love sex and dating front you know it was like don't date until you graduated college and then now wait what and then like 
I, you know, that's you, you paint a very, um, I think common picture, you know, I think generationally too, culturally transcending also just, you know, that generation, they're more concerned with, okay, we're going to, we're going to raise our kids. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to get them to the next stage in life. And, um, I mean, of course there's so many incredible parents out there. I love my parents dearly, but I can kind of resonate with that as well. And it's, um, really, it's not just an Asian thing. (laughs) No, like, no, definitely. You're no, definitely not. But it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things I find my, you know, myself really, really craving, you know, were they, were they immigrants? No, and they're very uh, waspy, lovely, a little waspy. Okay, <laughs> I was like, where does the reservedness come from? Reserved nature come from? Very fun, lovely. I think um, just a little more reserved on the the um, emotional availability piece, you know, and that's something that's very important to me. So I do find that, um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a struggle too. What, what would you say? to anyone like I know and you're still doing it right you're still figuring out how do I have this conversation with dad like how do I sit down at dinner and be like you know I want to talk about my life and and this is where I'm at and hey do you have advice for me what advice would you give someone in your same shoes in my same shoes yeah (sighs) like literally if I were to give myself advice to me right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) uh that is such a, that's such a trippy question. That's like a great question, but I'm like, okay. All right. Um, um, well, I would say, okay, I could, I could share a couple of things that have, that have resonated with me that even friends have told me. So I'm now willing and ready to hear and to really take in when people say, you know, I come from your, for your stuff, not because of the food and the chefs and because of the noodle soup and the, and the sushi which is uh, all great. Which is all. It's amazing. all great. Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> Trust me, it's really great. And we want to get back to that as soon as possible. Everyone wear a mask. So, <laughs> uh, it's that people are coming for for me. The um, the heart that I pour into um, an online video uh, or into a in real life um, party where I'm running around. I'm going to post this video perhaps today, uh, of a a roving amakase where I'm in a red sequin suit and dolloping caviar on your fist so that you can like fist bump (laughs) some caviar with me. Amazing. Which is, you know, something that I I noticed that we do maybe like at a very over-the-top chef hang, but I want to connect those dots in uh, between home cooks and consumers and chefs and restaurants more. Uh, I think that that's what I see happening is that convergence of home and not home is more chefs stay at home and be at home with their families. And then, and then people are seen right into chefs quarantine kitchens. I just think there's so much uh, opportunity now for, for intimate connection, even if we have these constraints. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, so taking all of that, that you, you experience and others experience from you out in the world how would you take that home into your your interpersonal relationships with your family like how would you expand upon that and and open up that possibility of connection that maybe wasn't there before um well it is to a couple things um keep promises to myself about 
and to others about what I'm going to do today, this week. You know, it's too easy to, this is the, still the, along the lines of advice to myself that I also, you know, work every day at. And I hope that some of this, um, y'all will try out, <laughs> which is keeping promises to myself of what I'm going to do. It's too easy to sit on our hands and say, uh, and say the future is uncertain. So I'm just going to curl up in a ball. Like, don't get me wrong. I have those days too. Totally. And, uh, keeping promises to oneself, keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. Um, I, I see this a lot with, let's say the early DJs who really put on a show virtually to crowds of un, unimaginable numbers around the world. Like I see that with the DJs. I see that with the restaurants that pivoted very boldly and are, have new offerings that might be more expensive than what they offered during COVID. I just interviewed auto fan um, in Chicago who has the most expensive meal restaurant meal right now that you can get in Chicago. Um, A lot of the immigrant uh, run restaurants, you know, we might think that they're the ones who uh, have, have halted operations, but no, they were the first ones to read all of the government forms that are not in their language and figure it out. And, and, you know, being uh, on a boat towards freedom with a lot of uncertainty is not new for a lot of these immigrant. Um, I love, I love that. And you, you give great, great advice to yourself, my dear. Like you're talking about perseverance. You're talking about, you know, pushing through, you're talking about keeping promises to yourself, which is so important. It, it shows, it shows up in your body in a physiological way too. When you really keep promises to yourself, your, your self-love and capacity for, for so many things just expands. Um, and, and it's, it happens step by step every day. And it's such a good reminder for people to keep promises to yourself, listen to yourself, trust yourself, um, and persevere, right? That's all those amazing things that you, you're putting out into yourself too. You're giving that advice back to yourself, which is incredible. Is that if there was one piece of advice that you've taken your whole entire life from someone else, what was the best, best advice you've ever gotten? You know, it's so, it's so you're, you're very good at, um, I'm loving all the advice questions. Cause like, <laughs> like, wow, I do feel like I'm a, a, a bank of advice and not just advice read, but also lived and experienced, um, best advice I've gotten. You know, I have to say, like, it's never, okay, well, this wasn't given. So I wanted to say that it's never really about what someone told me. It's always uh, some combination of what someone said out loud. And then perhaps I can match it up with experience. Like what I think what I'm saying is there are no, there are really no shortcuts. You can, be more clever and be uh, work smart, smarter, not harder for sure. But like no one could like do your life over and have you not go through that same heartbreak or that same business heartbreak. It's just, your heart has to break a lot to, Mm. to, to figure it out. And so the advice that I would say that really was like, Whoa, noted uh, is it came from again, Sarah Blakely of Spanx, the youngest woman, woman, self-made billionaire. This was a different kind of advice and I got it right away. She said that 
you should, if, you, if you're trying to figure out what to do in your life, what is your purpose? And that's the first step, by the way. That's the first really big step. That's like 80% mm. of the journey. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just everyone on your path, that is 80% of the journey. And it is really, really hard to figure out your purpose. Now, what I realized my purpose is, is, okay, is the, all of the things that she said, which is the stuff that makes you cry or the stuff that breaks your heart. And so everything about telling stories, connecting people about food and love and life, like that is, you know, I don't know. I like the things you like, but I happen to maybe like them extra much because maybe I'm a, a, I'm a mushier person than I like let on, you know, mm, um, yeah. because the world does not allow for, did not allow for vulnerability until Brene Brown, queen, <laughs> queen said indeed. it was okay, right? Like, <laughs> Brene, do you hear this? I mean, love you. About food. Major fangirl. Um, so Sarah Blakely said, that's, that's where you'll find your purpose. The things that break your heart and make you cry. That Mm -hmm. was her. Wow. That's so real. Right. Cause that means means your energy is really behind it and you're really in it. And that's, wow. I love that. I love that. Um, and, and, and and I want to add two thoughts to that, which is, um, it's really, um, you know, I, I know that you, we wanted this conversation to be a really deep dive and, and perhaps sometimes a little bit windy and I'm letting myself go there because there's also other instances where I have learned how to speak in bullet point format and get straight to the point and cut out all the juicy detail. And Girl, I've never spoken in bullet points. So you wind all you want because mama does that too. <laughs> right. And, but, but then I, I noticed in a conversation with some DJs slash artists the other night on Clubhouse, the uh, new audio only social social network uh, that I've been loving hosting conversations on, is I heard the way that musicians and those kinds of artists speak, and it is windy, and it is like the kind where you actually let yourself speak mm-hmm. um, instead of having to be all about one Rigid point structure, to, you know get funding or you know close the partnership like so that's been a thing and speaking my promise out loud to you and your whole audience is also a practice because I noticed the more that I spoke about my experience to an audience the more that then the next day I was like oh shit I promised a bunch of people this so let me promise to keep my promise to myself and then I'm just like oh (laughs) like I just got myself in a whole kerfuffle so I I think that's great it's a little inception but it's beautiful uh beautiful accountability (laughs) model you know and then Um, finally um finally the the um one more one more one more bit of advice directly for me to the uh, folks out there who are more oddly shaped like you're a puzzle piece with a snowflake edge or you're just like such an oddball and you're realizing that and you're afraid you're going to be alone and no one's ever going to see you for you and value you for you it's like don't be afraid going back to the bottle the magic in a bottle don't be afraid to to think like this business bottle your magic into a bottle and sell that price it price it properly and sell it for a lot of money like you know, making a lot of money is not a bad thing. It's the energy that you can, you can use to hire the people that are the, the best at that job um, mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. so respect and admire. You can bring people onto your team to get stuff done. So 
Lady, thank you. That is so real and it's so applicable. I mean, I think even if it's a subconscious fear that money is, it's like making a lot of money is a bad thing. It's not, it's not, it's not. And I think changing that relationship people have with it can be different and, and, and should be different. And talk to your friends about it. Talk to your friends, talk about it more, like just talk. Right. I think, I think that helps everything. Sharing, connecting back to the connection piece. It's so important to, to connect and share on all aspects of life because then nothing's a mystery. Nothing's taboo. Then it's just life. Right. And we're all in it together. Um, lady, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and you're, you honestly bring so much light and joy every time I see you into every room and it is no different over zoom, my love. So I appreciate you and I can't wait to do this again with you. Um, I, I would also just let the people know what's next for lady Sue. What's next? Well, developing and and producing the shows, the content series, um, wherever it lives. Uh, I have lots of show ideas. Um, some of them I'm, I'm the host of, and some of them um, don't have to be. Some of them are even um, semi, semi nonfiction fiction, uh, as in not like a travel, a travel show, but a narrative show about a protagonist who's a little Asian girl in high school. Oh, I love that. that. Kind of show. Okay, lots, that's great. Lots well, you're gonna that. have to keep us in the loop on that, and I'll connect all those those links and where to find them and all the things. Talk, yeah, talk to me about that stuff, and then talk to me as well about um, about growing your brand, your company, your community, your audience mm. um, with with storytelling and by connecting people. Amen. Thanks, girl. I can't wait marketing. to, it's called marketing, marketing, but it's like, but I don't, it's cool. I'm going to try to use like, as many words as possible <laughs> not call it marketing and, and, and strategy and building business. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I am not that. It's more romantic that. than that. You know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's magic. Um, what is it? Magic comma guaranteed period. <laughs> Amen. Magic comma guaranteed. I love that. I love that so, so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about all those fun things. For Thanks for giving for me sure. a container and a lane to just like paint within and fill up and um mm. it's really fun to, to to delve into new new material today so fun and honestly i can't wait to see you again in person with some you know dance parties whatever have you because that's the you know that's what we're trying to get back to girlfriend so let's do it see you on the gram for now see you on the gram <laughs> This has been Gritty Girls, the podcast you come to for your dose of badassery and inspiration from some of the most influential, accomplished women on the planet. Please subscribe today. I would super appreciate it. I'm Jillian Christie. This is Gritty Girls, and we'll see you next time.